0: I'm Ruth Sturkey and welcome to Money Expresso, no-froth conversations exploring money and life. People are often inhibited when it comes to talking about money. I'd like to change that. I'm going to be speaking with guests from all walks of life and asking them to share their personal story and the influence money has had on their decisions. I will also be delving into some of those tricky money and life questions such as What do people like me do whenever there's something particular going on? My hope is the shared experiences of our guests will get the UK talking about money and help others make better money decisions. My guest today is Michelle Cracknell, CBE. Michelle, a qualified actuary, was Chief Executive of the Pensions Advisory Service for five years until December, 2018. Prior to that, she's held various director roles in advice firms, in insurance companies, and in providers. She's also been a regular guest on Radio 4's Moneybox. Currently, Michelle is a trustee of the Lloyds Bank Pension Funds, a non-executive director at Fidelity International Holdings and Just Group PLC, as well as being a non-executive director and chair of the Audit and Risk Committee of Pensions B. Michelle was awarded the CBE by the Queen in June 2019 for her services to the pensions industry. Michelle, welcome. It's really lovely to have you on the show today. Thank you for inviting me. My pleasure. Um, I'm sure we're going to dip back and talk a little bit more about your uh, illustrious career. Um, But could I just take you right back and start by just asking you what was money like when you were growing up? Um... Well, it's it's really interesting because from quite a young
1: age, I had to deal with money because my parents lived abroad. And so I was regularly coming back by myself, um, flying back from, from Norway, where we lived. Uh, my father used to get me to get the boat train when we lived in Germany. And so so because of that, my father was very keen that I should have if you like a safety blanket and so he opened up a bank account for me when I was nine and it was a very traditional old fashioned way of opening up a bank account because we had to go and see the bank manager um, and he had to be my guarantor. Um, so, so from and, and I remember when he opened up this bank account, he said, you know, it's really important that if you ever spend any money out of the hundred pounds, which seemed like an enormous amount of money that he put in the bank account, he said, you know, you must write it down because if you go overdrawn, it will affect me. Um, and I took that responsibility really seriously. Um, and so I think in hindsight, I've I've been really lucky because from a very early age, um, I have had conversations about money and, my, and, you know, through that sort of early money experience
0: of having a bank account. What a great grounding for your dad. Uh, I mean, it, obviously, it was a bit needs must, wasn't it, I guess, but um, equally kind of opening your eyes up to money management. And, um, and it sounded like you were doing a little bit of bookkeeping. At a very
1: early age. Yes, yeah, because because of this thing about him saying to me, you know, you must write everything down. And he gave me a little book. You know, there was, there was I didn't He gave me a little book and said, you know, you'll write everything down in this book. And on one side you write down things that have been put in, and on the other side, you write down things that haven't been put in, uh, which I think is a is a really good lesson learned. Um but it's probably also fair to say that um I mean that's the sort of serious side of money. Um one of the other things I was introduced to by my father as well at, a, at an early age, was the fun side of money. And my great-grandmother, who I used to adore and think she was wonderful, you know, she's one of these very beautiful old ladies and was always lovely um, towards me. And when she died, she gave each of her um, great-grandchildren £100, uh, which again was a really big sum of money Absolutely. Time. and um, and I said to my father at the time you know I don't what should I do with it because I wanted to do something so that I could always say you know this is the money that my great-grandmother gave me and he suggested to me um, and it was just at the time when there was lots of privatizations going on in the UK he said why don't you buy some shares and so I bought some shares for that 100 pounds um, and I I have to admit, I still have those shares because they have that attachment to my great grandmother. Um, but again, it taught me at a very young age that you know anybody, you know, all of these things are open to you and 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 possible for you. And so yes, and so so that was more the fun side of money. And and you know, as a, as a young girl, you know, I, I put this money aside and thought that was the end of it. But then of course, then six months later, I got a dividend. Oh, my goodness what's that and for me you know the dividend you know whatever it was five pounds um again for, for a young girl seemed so like a lot of money
0: Absolutely. yeah was that kind of british gas or something like that
1: it was british telecom
0: british that telecom gosh yeah british i remember british. yeah 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 God, brilliant and um what was your first job
1: Ah, oh, no, that's a really good question. Um, my first job was, um, well, because the first time I worked was as, as um, babysitting. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I love that. I mean, I can't understand why anybody would <laughs> want to babysit because, you know, you go and sit in somebody else's house, you get to watch whatever TV program without anybody else interfering with you, <laughs> and often leave you little snacks, and you get paid. I mean, how good is that that was, the first, that was if you like my first experience of the joys of work um, but the first first job I had um, and I actually have done this quite I did this quite a lot um, as a young person during holidays and during university was where I got a pay packet was being a waitress um, oh, yeah. and the thing I loved about being a waitress was that immediate gratification you know the harder you worked the bigger the tips and you know <laughs> you know enjoying the experience because of course restaurants are places where people go to enjoy themselves and being part of that I just thought that was you know the best job ever Um, and so yeah so I had a number of jobs um, being a waitress and like I said um, I love that I love that to bits
0: God, I remember having to learn to do silver service waitress, and it was an absolute disaster. But uh, but I, I know what you mean. Yeah, it, it, it's good, isn't it, as a young person just to be out and about and uh, seeing adults have fun. But uh, yeah. And what did you do with the money, Michelle? Did you did you save or spend?
1: um Save. Yeah. I'm a saver Um, and also because I used to you know during the during the holidays when I was a waitress I I used to work you know long hours because you know it was um, I enjoyed it you know I was with other people of my age and I and I saw that as part of my social life and so I'd actually have very little time to spend it which of course is one of the sort of contradictions the harder you work the less time you have to to spend money and so I used to save it Um, and again talking about my father he used to I used to come back um, from from the restaurant and sort of empty out my pockets with all of these um, tips, and he used to sort of lay them all out and count it all out for me to take along to the bank. You know, quite often there was a fried mushroom used to come out of my pocket at the same time. <laughs> And in and everything. and everything, he was very good at sort of stacking up all the coins and, and adding it all about all up um but yeah no, I, I i used to i used to save it and and again i i had um a, d- a huge desire to buy a car and so that was sort of my big saving project with my earnings as a waitress what was your first car oh my first car was a mustang yeah. which sounds really exotic
0: it, it was a what um,
1: a, mustang, a ford mustang oh
0: my god that is exotic
1: it's just exotic. Um, but first of all, is is that um, I was living in America at the time and. They loved European cars and American cars were going for very cheaply. (laughs) And secondly, um, again, in America, most people drive automatic cars. And because I'd learned how to drive a shift stick, um, I I managed to pick up a Mustang really cheaply that um, was a shift stick Mustang. And I was so young, I could barely see over the bonnet and it went way too fast, used up way too much petrol. um, But it's still, I'm very proud of my
0: first car. It's amazing. Yeah, I thought you'd said Ford Fiesta, which is why I did a double take. But um, <laughs> So, Michelle, you've had a really impressive career path so far. Um, I think if I correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you studied civil engineering at Imperial College. Um, you became an actuary. You became CEO of the Pensions Advisory Service. You're now a non-exec of four uh, companies, of trustee. And I think you're working on a couple of startups. You appeared on Panorama in 2016, I think, on um, Pension Ripoffs Exposed. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: What is it about money that intrigues you so much that it's kind of become your life's work?
1: It's it's funny because I, I really remember when I sat at my interview for university and being asked, why should I want to become a civil engineer? Yeah, you know, I remember saying to the person who was interviewing me, I want to build stuff. You know, I, and, and so it's sort of slightly ironic that I've ended up being in a service industry where what we build is completely intangible. Um, but I do look at some of my experiences throughout my career. And in fact, when you and I worked together at advisory and brokerage, and some of the ways I've been able to help people build up their business, um, build up their their life, build up their career. And and, and it's, it's an immense privilege when you get let into somebody's life and help them Sort of build that life and get themselves into a better position. I mean, I remember one journalist that I used to um, look after, and he got divorced. Um, as a result of the divorce, actually, he lacked liquidity. Um, and at the age of 60, he had ended up living um, with, with a friend. Um, and so, you know, he said to me, All I want is to get my own place. Um, and through being able to look at his pension funds and doing things with them, I was able to show him how he could release a bit of money, um, which was sufficient for him to get a deposit to build, to buy a flat. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and so, you know, if you like, I was helping him rebuild his life. And and like I said, it's sort of an immense privilege when the person then comes back to you and says, "Oh, you know, thank you. I wouldn't have been able to do that if you hadn't just re-engineered um the money that that i had and so um i guess it's the the outcome of the money rather than the money that fascinates me and the way that in, you know with the sort of the, the techniques that we learn or the knowledge that we have we can take people from situations where they don't think they're able to do something to actually demonstrate to them that they are able to do it, um, and we just need to move some things around in order, for, or they need to change a few of their aspirations in order to achieve it.
0: You're right. I never thought about it in that context, but you, you, you are. We do. We do as um, financial planners, pension experts. Um, we do help people build their lives, don't we? So I, I can see that. Um, that link there from being a civil engineer and wanting to to build things and you're right it is a real privilege isn't it very much kind of um problem solving I guess for people yes yes no absolutely and
1: and you know you see people through the bad times and, and the good times and um and you sort of try and help them on that journey I mean there, there was one company that I used to look after um, based in West Sussex and they had a and they had some really tough times. They had a, a special building material that they thought was going to change the world, and and it took a long time for the building industry to take it up. So they went through some really tough times, um, and we helped them by buying the using the pension fund to buy the factory in order to to help them through those tough times. But. I looked after that company for 20 years and at the end of the 20 years, you know, their building product was becoming a mainstay with many, many developments. and so again, you know, it's fantastic to see, you know, good outcomes like that happen and it was just our help in the early days that helped them get through the difficult parts in the cash flow for the company.
0: And you mentioned something that I think is really interesting because pensions have had such a bad press. I mean, I mentioned that you appeared on Panorama, and we're talking about pension ripoffs exposed. I know, and you know, as being pensions experts, that pensions can have an incredible impact on people's lives. Why have they got such a bad, bad rap? What, what, what's gone wrong? So I would just love to do a
1: complete rebrand on pensions because it's one of the best investments that you can that you can have as far as the, you know the tax tax element of it and quite often your employer contributes to it to to it as well. I think the, the real difficulty with pensions has always been that um, because they you end up accumulating through them throughout the whole of your life. Um, It means that there are lots of different rules that apply, you know, there were rules that applied in the 1970s, there were rules that applied in the 1980s, and all of these different rules that applied means that it is quite complicated because, you know, you'll say to somebody, I want to do this with my pension, and then we'll turn around and say, well, no, no, no you've got a different type of pension, you can't do that. And I remember this at the time of pension freedoms where people were told, if you've got a defined contribution pension pot, you can take all your money as cash. But there's certain types of defined contribution pension pots where you can't do that. And we have to say to people, oh, no, 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 yours is different, you know, because you've got a special rule applying, And so you can't take yours as cash. And I think as a result, people sort of throw up their hands to say, oh, you know, you're always changing the rules, you know, the rules are always different. And as a result of that, sort of people lose, lose faith in them, uh, which is a real shame because like I said, you know, they are one of the best investments that you can do.
0: It's true, isn't it? I, and I think you're right. It's that constant rule change in that complexity, even for us when we work within within the profession, let alone. I remember actually um, being in the office one day, probably about eight years ago, and um, a, a, coll- a, a colleague of yours and mine, uh, Gareth, was in a meeting with a client, and we could hear the client shouting from the end of the office because pensioners rules had changed again. And of course, she knew it wasn't Gareth's fault, yeah. but he was the person in front of her, and yeah, I, yeah. I think you're right. I think that takes away people's um, sense of ownership somehow, doesn't it? Really, you miss all the good the good stuff. In terms of your your um, career, um, what what have been your kind of struggles along the way? What have been the the challenges that you've faced? And I don't know whether that's from being just the, the types of jobs, whether that's people you've worked with, whether it's being female. Is there anything that has come to mind that's been really frustrating for you
1: oh gosh there's 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 a few things that i sort of think back on at the time that were struggles but of, you know in the end probably turned out to be some of my sort of greatest successes as well um, certainly qualifying as an actuary was a huge struggle mm. <laughs> um, i didn't work for an actuarial firm i didn't have a masters degree and um and it was just sheer stubbornness and um, it just kept me going because I, I said to him, I made myself a promise that I wouldn't give up um, on a failure Um, So every time I failed an exam, I knew I had to take it again, Um, but when I took it again, if I passed it the next time, then I'd be able to give up. Um, But of course, when you do, (laughs) you have that elation of, oh my goodness, that was fantastic, I've passed, and so then you apply for the next one. So it took me a long time to get my actuarial exams, and you know, it was a fairly bleak time for me as well, because I did it in isolation, so I didn't have any... um, ability to sort of share my experiences with with other people. And I used to go up to the example and if the, you know, from all the other actuarial firms were in big gangs and I was by myself. So that was a real struggle, but, you know, something that has put me in very good stead going mm. forward because, um, you know, there are not that many people that have got actuarial qualifications, so it has opened a lot of doors for me. And um, I think my second sort of really big struggle was... Um, you know, work for, for a private company. Um, and they, just just before I got qualified as an actuary, they appointed me as a director. Um, and the next director was 20 years older than me. And the entire board was male. Um, and it was a fairly old-fashioned setup. Um, and they appointed me as a director. And again, you know, that was very exciting. And, you know, I was, bought some shares in the company. And it was an incredibly exciting times to me. But then the next day I sort of woke up and thought well what am i going to do you know and and you know how am i going to you know make an impact and 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 have something to say at board meetings etc and it was a real struggle to find my niche and mm-hmm. to find out ways that i could um get an input into the way the company was being run um and and, and that that was was immense um, struggle and i mean in the end I, I I decided that the one thing that we probably weren't we were very good at sort of making sure that the numbers always added up, and we were very good at sort of driving the income forward for the business. Uh, but the one thing we weren't very good at were people, mm. um, and so I I you know started talking to the HR manager, finding out more about the people aspect, and then started asking for. Uh, um, a session in the board meeting, and you know, it started off with I was given five minutes. Um, and I sat in board meetings and they didn't even open up the sandwiches whilst I was there. I just had my five minutes of saying what I thought we needed to do as far as the people in the business were concerned. Um, but gradually I started to have an impact. Um, but you know, I do, I do remember it was a real struggle to get my five minutes extended to 15 minutes, then to half an hour. And when it became half an hour, they had to open up the sandwiches so I could <laughs> have the sandwiches too. <laughs> That was a struggle but you know again it was it was a huge benefit because i became a shareholding director of a private company which was ultimately sold and and that gave me an immense platform um an opportunity to look at the next step of, of my career um and i guess my final one um was becoming a chief executive and you'll know this ruth because because you've been the boss of a, of a, of a business that you've owned um and when you turn up to be chief executive you know there are no manuals there's no <laughs> telling you what to do and I suppose the first time that hits home is when um you you ask a question which is what you normally do when you start a new job and your finance director turns around to you and says well that's up to you and I remember you know I started this new job and I said um you know could I have a laptop and what laptops do we have here and he said well that's up to you you know you're <laughs> Now and all of a sudden, you know, you realise that you are actually the ultimate um, decision maker, Um, and it can be quite lonely. It's Mm -hmm. hugely rewarding, and you know, when you get the team all pulling together in the same direction and you're following everything that you hope that would happen for that company, it's massively rewarding. But you know, the struggle is, you know, in the early days, just getting everybody on board with you and to see the future particularly when you want to do things in in a different way and
0: you want to change things you know you go
1: through through a lot a lot of struggles to get there in the first place
0: it's really I, I remember that feeling very clearly when as you say you're suddenly the boss and everybody looks at you and you suddenly think, oh my goodness I've got to make the decision mm. here mm. but it, it's fascinating isn't it? And I, and I think one of the things that I remember observing was that as you nobody's taught how to do these things. Everybody gives it their best shot and, and hopefully mm. succeed. But, but it, mm. it, is a, it is a real step up, isn't it? And it, it, that, that change of responsibility, I think, is not to be underestimated. But as you say, the rewards are, are immense. Um, yes. Which brings me on to something that I know you're incredibly modest about, and you're probably going to try and gloss over it, but I'm going to push anyway. You were awarded the Commander of the Order of the British Empire which for those of people who don't know is just one notch below dame or knighthood for the pensions industry in 2019 now how did that feel
1: <laughs> well it was really um it was a, it
0: was a really strange
1: experience and a whole mixture of emotions because um and i actually had come back from i, I went to visit um a charity. Um, that I'm involved with in Uganda. Um, and I came back and I sort of emptied up the letterbox and I got these pile of letters. And as you do when you come back from holiday and you've got so much washing to do, I just put them on the side. Um, And it was only, and and so this happened when I got back on Friday evening, and it was only on Saturday I sort of flicked through them and then there was this letter that said, you know, we we're minded to offer you the CBE um, if you're minded to accept, um, (laughs) tell us by Monday, in fact, because the letter had had arrived whilst I was abroad, um, I had to do it by the Monday, Um, and now this was the Saturday before that Monday. Um, and, and I thought, oh, I don't deserve this. I don't know why I've got it, and um, and 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 so you know, because I don't know why I've got it, I don't think I can accept it. Um, and 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 then, of course, it goes through and says, you know, you've got to keep it a secret. So You can't even ask people what they think <laughs> and, and what you should do. Um, and so I thought. Um, so I thought quite long and hard about it, and um, eventually I thought, well. You know somebody thinks I'm, I'm worthy of this, and it's a huge honor to both myself and all the people that I worked with. So I wrote an email back saying, Thank you very much for your letter, I'm minded to accept. <laughs> but then you have to keep it quiet, and oh so sort of, I, I had to keep it quiet. Um, so I, I got this letter at the beginning of May, and you have to keep it quiet until. The, um, I was in the Queen's Birthday list, which comes out in June. Um, and I think it that really came home to me. Um, when i when I got um, when it became public in June, um, the number of um people that contacted me and recounted things that had happened that we'd been involved with in my past career and everything, um, it just it was just it, it was just hugely, hugely. Fantastic experience, um, and, um, and even my even my sons, who I thought would be very dismissive, because that's what sons are good at. Um, even, you know, my my younger son, you know, sort of, you know, um, just uh, both my sons sent me these um, texts saying that it was completely awesome, and, um, and like said it's sick. <laughs> <Exactly> <laughs> what it is. And then and then the next one I got is um, you've got the same one as Olivia Coleman. That is so cool. <laughs> Wow. And, and so, and so, yes. Yeah, so, so, the experience of people in my industry who, who congratulated me um, was was an immense honour, and obviously, I, I was delighted for the pensions advisory service because I've taken it over when it was a little bit of a sleepy hollow. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and I've managed to sort of bring it up into much more, many more people knowing about it. And um, and when I got the CBE, I equally, I was able to promote that organisation, which I'm so incredibly
0: fond of, um, even more. So it was amazing. What an experience! And and congratulations once again, Michelle. It's it's so well deserved. But um, you mentioned your sons. Now, um, I always think it's fascinating. Um, when 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 people have children in essence I think your two sons came from the same gene pool how are they around money are they are they similar are they different and how have you helped educate them around how to manage money they are different
1: totally different which like you say I always just like amazed why are they so different when they're (laughs) um sets but um I think um Um, I suppose one of the things that I'm very conscious of, which again, if you like, we're lucky because we work in financial services and we know about this stuff, is that people form their money habits as early as age seven. And so whilst I I feel incredibly fortunate that um, the the lessons I learned from my father, um, I felt the same sort of responsibility towards my sons. Mm -hmm. And so so when they both had their 11th birthday, I set up bank accounts for them, and so you know the first thing was the slight shock on their face, on my eldest son's face when he was eleven, and he didn't get something wrapped <laughs> <laughs> and he didn't get a present. But you know he was told that you know you've got a bank account, and every month I'm going to put eleven pounds into the bank account, um, and then it subsequently went up every um, um, every, every, every every birthday. Um, but the the really fascinating fascinating and really rewarding thing that happened when I set up the bank account for my elder son is he, a bit like me, became sort of really obsessed with um, having a balance Um, and and his idea was, you know, imagine if I had a hundred pounds. And, of course, the combination of my £11 a month and the birthday money that he received from his grandparents is he actually got to the £100 quite quickly. And then the £100 became, oh, my goodness, imagine if I had a £1,000. <laughs> and, you know, after you know, a couple of years, you know, he managed to get his bank account up to £1,000. And what was interesting about my elder son is he always deducts the balance. So I remember being in a shop. Where he wanted to buy something, some some game, and I remember him. I'm saying to him, "Can you afford it? Have you got enough in your bank account?" And he turned round to me and said, "You know, I've got twenty two pounds in my bank account." And I thought, "No, you haven't. You've got more than that." But he used to take off the balance, which he would never go below. Oh, I and see time, he had you know where his limit was 100 pounds. Um, 122 pounds to him, he always classes that as 22 pounds, and he always leaves that balance, which is a great you know great money habit for mm. him to have. Um, my my younger son is um, he's very savvy with money, but he is a spender. Mm. And so the way I sort of talk to to both of them is actually sort of, you know, different in that my elder son can have as many credit cards as he wants sitting in his wallet, um, and I don't worry about that, whereas my younger son um, even though he's quite savvy with money, and I say that because during lockdown um he did a massive eBay sale and made a lot of money from selling selling lots of his clothes that he'd grown out of. Whilst he's quite savvy with money, he also enjoys spending money mm-hmm. and I'm a beneficiary um, of the money that he spends. So it is interesting, and I think the most important thing for both of them is, you know, I cannot change their personalities. That your personality is who you are yeah. but you can help people with their behaviors and yeah. so their money behaviors I think have to be different um, because of their personalities
0: and I think that's something that we're really starting to learn within um, the financial planning world is that um, it isn't just about the clever tax planning or investments it is around how we are around around money isn't it I think which can can make or break people's future wealth um, a word wealth how do you define wealth oh gosh
1: um, the way i don't define it is quite often how we define it in financial services and quite often you see you know you get a private banker because you've hit this particular milestone of mm. the amount of money um, and i think that is totally wrong mm. um, I suppose I define wealth by having the money to do what matters most to you, which isn't which is different from having the money to do what you'd like to do. Because I mean, we'd all love to go on exotic holidays or, or have you know um, you know fancy goods or whatever it might be. So it's different from what you'd like to have, but what really matters to you. Mm. Um, so you know what really matters to me is that. You know, my my sons, you know, have the university experience um, and they're both on fantastic degree courses and what matters most to me is that there is nothing inhibiting them being able to do that and that through the money that I've saved, I'm able to give them, you know, the point up to the end of their university careers Where they've been able to, because that matters to me, that they get the most out of the education system. Um, They just need to know that after that, down to them, they're on their own.
0: Yeah.
1: (laughs) They do after that, you know, they're on their own. Um, But that's what matters most to me. And and so, I've saved and how I've saved, that's what matters most to me. And so, my wealth is defined by that's what matters, and that's how I define my wealth.
0: And what a gift to give, to give your sons as, as well, isn't it? You know, a, a great education. What, what I observe when people spend money, that they their choices they make are fascinating. And um, you've mentioned about spending money on, on wealth, being having money uh, so you can spend it on what matters most. But I think people also have um, different ideas of value. So... If, what is it that you find very easy to spend money on? Whereas with something else that you find it very difficult to quantify its worth? Um, So for instance, some people will spend money without really thinking about it on cars, but would really struggle to spend money on new shoes, for instance. Do you have any of those kind of juxtapositions?
1: Um, I, th- I think everybody has something, some completely irrational thing that they spend money on um, because I'm quite a rational um, person that thinks about things. Um, and yet even I have to, I, even I know that there are some things I'm completely irrational about. Um, so my irrational spend um, has to be perfume. Oh. Um, I know that that bottle contains liquid that is probably worth less than 20p and even when I put it in its nice fancy box it's probably worth less than a pound and yet I spend an irrational amount of money on it
0: because it makes me
1: happy and you know and during lockdown if I was having a a dark day I'd put some perfume on and so that's my rational spend when i know so it's not about the amount of money but i just know that the amount i spend on it definitely isn't sort of if you like the value of the goods that 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 i'm buying Um, but i think you always have to have you always you know you always have to have fun with money you can't Mm. be too austere with it Mm. Um, i think i think the analogy is with diets you know if you put yourself on a really austere diet it's never going to last Whereas if you say to yourself, you know, I'm going to limit my calorie intake because I love chocolate and I am still going to have a chocolate mm. every night before I go to bed, um, then you're more likely to stick with it. Yeah. And I suppose I sort of feel the same about money in that, you know, you've got to have some things which are just sheer fun. Mm. Um, and i guess one of the other things that i always have in the back of my mind is that as i i do tend to have because i know it works for me i do tend to have whenever i get some money i do tend to have the sort of 50/50 um, thought process about it. And what I mean by that is that when I used to get my bonuses as an employee um, working for a company, I tend to, to always to say, you know, I've got this bonus, so I'm going to spend 50% on it on frivolous fun things mm-hmm. and 50% of it I'm going to pay off the mortgage or i'm going to put into my pension fund or i'm going to do whatever with it and that always worked for me um, because it always meant that i didn't feel completely guilty because i had done something sensible with 50 percent of the money but also i was enjoying as people should do i was enjoying you know the rewards that i'd been given because i'd worked hard um, and I, I guess that's a sort of philosophy um, that i have and it helps me enjoy my irrational spending as much as it, I enjoy
0: the fact that actually after my rational spending, I've still got something left over. It's a great balance, isn't it? And I, and I, I really like that as, as, a, as a kind of general rule, isn't it? It's money you've not had. Use 50% of it to, to treat yourself and then do something sensible with, with the balance. And I think that's a very good rule. How do you want to be remembered, Michelle? Oh gosh,
1: I, <laughs> I, I, I think um, I, th- I think I'd love people to say um, after my funeral and after I die, oh Michelle, she gave me this top tip about something and and whether it's the whether it's that 50 50 split about money whether it's the fact about i've told them how they can save tax um or claim back tax they've made on pension contributions i mean i remember when i was at pensions advisory service um, um just as i was leaving i was trying to create um some news stories about positive pension stories And so I picked a number of the um, people, customers, pensions advisory service, and I contacted them to say, um, you know, I'd like to help show you that you've got more money than you think you have. Um, You know, Would you be prepared to take part in this experiment? Um, And for one of those individuals, um, he was part of a company pension fund, which was a group personal pension plan. He was a higher rate taxpayer, but never realized he had to claim back tax and so when he sort of gave me his pension history um I found a few lost pensions but I also told him that he claimed back tax um and I thought that was the end of the relationship um but then he um, um I got an email a few months later saying you never guess what I claimed back tax I have got two thousand pounds um and then I told the HR lady at my company me. And I said, "Why didn't you tell me I had to claim back tax?" And she said, "I didn't know either." Oh, goodness. And and so and so, if you like the way I, I guess that was such a rewarding experience for me. I guess the way I'd like to be remembered, people said, oh, "Remember Michelle." She gave me that top tip about. <laughs> Gave me that top tip about man- managing money, and that they find that these top tips are things that have helped them. That's what I'd like to be remembered
0: for. Love that! I love that. And it's that ripple effect, isn't it? The guy you spoke to then went and spoke to somebody else who also did it, and um, yeah. all that good that comes from that 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 one piece of help. I love it. We're coming to, towards the end now, Michelle, and I'd love to. I love asking this slightly frivolous question. But what have you got the most pleasure or use out of? Something that you've bought over the last, say, 12 months that costs less than £30.
1: Ah, oh, now that's that's an easy one for me um, because um, one thing I, I really enjoy doing is um, upcycling things. And so I saw this um, beautiful oak coffee table that had just been neglected. And, you know, it had rings where coffee cups had been left on it, Um, but it was a brand that I knew, and it was solid oak, and so I knew it would be good quality, Um, and so I bought it for £20, Um, and then I borrowed my friend Sander. Um, and I sanded it down and I wiped it and I oiled it um, and it just gives me huge amounts of pleasure a because it's now got a bit of a story behind it um, and secondly it was quite hard work I mean yeah. it's a really heavy table and so every time I had to take it outside to sand it was, was a huge amount of effort um, and so therefore I sort of feel as though I've received a, a, a reward because I've worked really hard to get it you know it yeah. didn't just Easily. I didn't just buy, you know, a coffee table that was already, you know, perfect, you know, this one I'd worked really hard to restore it. Um, and also something I do feel, I do think a lot about at the moment, I'm not sure whether this is because of 2020 and because of lockdown, is I, I do think that we waste too much. In this country mm. and probably in, in 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 lots of countries um in in the western world we waste too much and so the fact that this table wasn't resigned to you know the, the tip mm. and able to restore it to its former glory means quite a lot to me.
0: And and what, what a great that's such a good such a good story as you say you know you got you got a bargain you spent some effort on it you you prevented it going to uh, landfill and And it's now got something that you can actually use and that you can feel positive about. I love that. Really good. Mm -hmm. Michelle, you've been really generous with your time and um, you've you've told us some amazing things. Um, You've had a brilliant career so far. I know you've still got many years ahead of you to continue to make a difference. Um, Loved all of the uh, advice and guidance that you've you've given us along the way. Um, And thank you very much for telling us about your um, excitement at getting your your CBE. Um, that, That really is very special. I like to ask our guests to finish with a money pearl of wisdom. Now, you may already have said your money pearl of wisdom, but perhaps just so our listeners are in no doubt. Could you tell us what your money pearl of wisdom would be for for all of us to take away from this?
1: I think the one pearl of wisdom that I would give to people is that um, the physical exercise of recording money that you've spent is incredibly powerful and whilst at the age of eight it was in a little book that my father gave me and more latterly you know I've done it in spreadsheets it doesn't matter how you do it um, but I think there's all the evidence suggests that if you don't record something, you know, if you don't measure something, it doesn't get done. And and it's in the same sort of way with money, I think it's incredibly important to record what you've spent um, because I think that's a really good discipline um, to remind you, you know this is how much I can afford, this is how much I've spent. So it doesn't matter how you do it, whether you do it virtually or whether you do it through your bank account or however you do it, but I would really urge people that um, to get into good spending habits by um, doing something to physically record how much you spent. And I think that's even more important these days with contactless and credit cards,
0: et cetera. It's even more important to do that. That's fantastic. Michelle, thank you so much for your time. Really enjoyed chatting with you. I'm sure we could have chatted on for ages but thank you very much and I look forward to catching up with you again soon. You're welcome. Thank you very much. It's been great. Thank you. So that's it for today. I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. I'd really appreciate it if you could take a couple of minutes of your time to go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts to subscribe, rate and give a five-star review for Money Expresso. Apparently, this helps more people to find the podcast so we can help more people think differently about their money and their life. If you've got any thoughts, comments or questions on any of the matters discussed or life and money generally, I'd love to hear from you. You can contact me on Twitter or LinkedIn at Ruth Sturkey. Of course, the conversations with my guests are not intended as advice. My intention is to merely share our guests' money and life experiences to entertain, educate and inform you. Any form of investing involves risk and the value of your investments may go down as well as up. So please do speak with a financial planner before making any investments to make sure they're the right ones for you. Thank you.